We're going to be reading this morning from the book of Psalm, Psalm 17. Uh, this morning, Psalm 17. We're going to be, our topic this morning is a believer's confidence. And of course, we looked recently of a man who lost his confidence in God at the latter stages of his life. But what struck me as I was considering this psalm was that in today's world, perhaps like never before, there is a, a group of people, ungodly in every way, in their speak and in their living, who have a confidence, a confidence in themselves, a confidence in what it is they do and what it is they are and what they represent. And it got me thinking, as the people of God, have we not got a confidence who we are, who we serve, what has happened in our lives and what God is doing in and through us. And I want to pull that out this morning. A man, I want to show you a man who has a confidence in God. And as we work our way through it, there will be three sharp points at the, at clo at the closing end of it, what I see in this man. And as we consider this man's confidence, he's a believer. And in this believer, we can also learn from him. And I believe that we will have this confidence within us. So let us read together Psalm 17. Listen to how it starts off. Hear a just cause. Hear a just cause. Here's a cry of the godly, one who's been redeemed and blood-bought and forgiven. Hear a just cross, a cause, O God. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. For you have tested my heart. You have visited me within the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. And I have proposed that my mouth, listen, my mouth shall not transgress. Verse 4, concerning the works of men and by the words of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Uphold my steps in your paths, that my footsteps may not slip. I have called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. O you who save those who trust in you, from those who rise up against them. Listen to verse 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Here's a man who knows God and how God knows him. And keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me under the shadow of your, of your wings. Now we'll, look, we'll just finish with verse 15. And as for me, I will see your face in righteousness, and I shall be satisfied when I wake in your likeness. Amen. So, Father, we thank you to be found in the house of God this morning. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, in Christ we have a confidence. Lord, we thank you that it's not on our works today that we stand before you. It's in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we're fully aware that in and of ourselves, Lord, we are unable to, to do anything about our sinful state. Lord, we are lost and without hope, but you in your grace and your mercy sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save those who are lost. Father, we thank you for those who call out upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, we will receive a, a cloak of righteousness that is not of our own, but of the Lord's. Father, we rejoice in that this morning. Lord, I pray Lord, that we would leave here today a people, Lord, built up in our faith. Lord, leaving here with not a worldly, a cocky confidence, but Lord, a, a godly confidence in who it is that we are, who it is that we serve, and most importantly, what it is that we believe about you. 
So, Lord, I pray you would bless each of us this morning in Jesus' name. For those who are away for the weekend, Lord, to the, to the speak uh, meeting, Lord, I pray you would bless them as they make their way home, Lord. Would, you, would your spirit fill us afresh this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. So what is the believer's confidence? And as I considered this thought and I looked at other men of God throughout the scripture, there's one thing that I picked up on in nearly every one of them, no, not nearly, on every one of them who did great exploits for the Lord. It appeared to me that the sacking coming of Christ was written on their hearts. They were not worldly-minded. They were not caught up with the temporal world, which, let's be honest, is a real struggle in the 21st century not to. But what I noticed about these men, and you can search it, in every man or woman of the Scriptures have been used had eternity on their heart. It appeared to give them a confidence, and I believe that is the confidence of the believer, that the Lord's coming again. This life is not it. Thank God it's not it. Jesus says in 1 John 2 and 25, and this is the promise, or sorry, John says, this is the promise that Christ made to us, eternal life, eternal life, Christian. It's easy to talk about eternal life. It's easy to say that we believe in the resurrection, and Easter is two weeks away where we'll be specifically looking at the resurrection. But how do we get that into our hearts, that we fully, without doubting, believe in the resurrection and eternal life? A woman by the name of Ellen White said this, The hope of eternal life is not to be taken lightly. It is a subject to be settled between each man and their God and with their own soul and ought to be settled for eternity. A supposed hope and nothing more will prove to your ruin. That is the reality of eternity. If we have a presumption, a proposed hope, if we don't really grasp eternity, the chances are for us to be perfect would be very slim. Now, of course, I'm speaking more to those outside of Christ this morning. If you're not saved this morning, eternity is a real topic, that, a talk of topic that ought to be thought about. In other words, don't hope to be saved, but to make sure you're saved and ready for eternity. And likewise, Christian, make sure we're ready when we meet the Lord as we stand before him as the Scripture teaches. Stand there. Of course, clothed with righteousness, but give an account of our life. And King David was a man who was ready to meet the Lord. And in this psalm, I want to give you some background. What we see is King David is surrounded by men who are seeking to kill him. That's the crux of the story. And what is clear from this psalm, once you study it, is that King David is innocent. He has done nothing wrong against this party, yet he's being hunted down like a hardened criminal to be put to death. And listen to his plea, as I already said. This man, there's people going to kill him. And what's his cry? Hear a just cause, Lord. Hear a just cause. This is a man who knows his place. He knows his confidence before God. Men may accuse him. And listen, church, people will accuse you. And let us be able to say, hear a just cause. Lord, hear a just cause. My vindication doesn't come from your man up the road. I know who I serve. I know my life. I can say that I am innocent before God, even though they, they charge me. And that's what we're seeing here in this scene. Here it just cause. And this saying, it resembles an innocent man. 
A man who has stood before the judge in, in a court of law, and listen, he's defending himself. He hasn't employed some highfalutin barrister because he knows, he knows he's innocent. He can defend himself. I don't know if you ever stood in a court of law. Let's just say I know somebody who has. And all I know is when they got the solicitor, do you know what it was to do? To tell the greater lie. To tell the greater lie. Get me off with this. Get me the, the, the cheapest sentence. Do what you can to get me away with. Is that true or not? Tell the greater lie. Here, just cause, O oh Lord. I don't need a barrister to lie for me. I know who I am. I know my life. I know the Lord. And I live for This is what David is saying. This is David's cry. This is his teaching this morning. It's a man who's defending himself before a judge. David is confident. And we know enough about David to know that he's not a cocky man, not an arrogant man, not a man who, who thinks he has it all worked out. I'm not talking about that confidence. That's not of God and doesn't belong in the church. This is a man or a woman who, who carries that mystery of godliness. We just know there's something about him. This is the confidence that David had. And this comes from a root feeling, understanding that he was right before God, who alone is a righteous judge. And in Psalm 17, David is being wrongly accused, listen, for the personal gain of another man. That man is King Saul. King Saul is trying to manipulate and trying to get rid of Saul because he's God's man. And that's what we see here. It's believed that King Saul and his, his men, at least some of them, are the enemies of David that are spoken of within this psalm. Now, in 1 Samuel 23, if you're taking notes, it's there that we read about King Saul and his pursuit to kill David. Now, not because David has wronged anyone, but because God has removed King Saul's anointing and his throne over Israel. Because, in fact, King Saul himself was confident in all the wrong ways. He knew better than everybody else. In fact, he knew better than God in his own thinking. He did whatever he wanted, and God removed his anointing and removed his position as king of Israel. And of course, uh, we know that through the prophet Samuel, King David, as a young boy, was prophesied and spoken over that he is going to be the next king. And of course, King Saul's not happy about this. And so in being filled with Bitterness and jealousy, we, we know that he seeks to king, kill the young David. Now, Jonathan, who is David's friend, who just happens to be King Saul's son, comes and warns David that his father is coming after him. We know the story. And so David flees into the wilderness of Maon, and he hides in a cave there for safety. There will be times in our life that we need to hide away. There will be times when things will come at us, perhaps accusations, and we just need to step back and let God work. That's very important. I, I know men who have been accused of things, godly men who have been accused of things. And boy, did the, the people who should have been protecting them, did they not speak out? And this man stood back, and he waited some three years till his vindication came and had come. A lot of people had to apologize. Here just cause, O Lord. See, he knew. And here we see David is imprisoned in a cave, hiding, and there's times in our life we need to step back and allow God to move. So that's the background of Psalm 17. David has been tried and sentenced to death in, call, in, in King Saul's kangaroo court, if you like. Now, Christian, 
That's how God's people are often judged. When we're going and we're inviting people, don't be offended when people bite at you. Don't be offended when people say no. Understand what the scriptures teach, that he has blinded them. We need to understand that it's through prayer, it's through gracefulness, and through a godly confidence that we just invite people with humility to come. Because God's people are often judged. A perception is made and a judgment is passed without any honest debate. There's many people today hate the Lord. They hate the church because of presumption. They believe something to be true on the basis of probability. Understand that. We're not dealing with people who understand. It wasn't that long ago when I myself would have laughed at you and walked on, not interested, you see. But then the Lord got a hold. That's what we need to understand. There's a presumption made on us of the enemy. There's many today don't know that God loves them. There's many today are being taught that there is no God. They don't even know that God created them and that God knows them personally. Many have not a clue that the Lord sent his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross for them and that in Christ they can be saved and they no longer need to hide in the cave from him. These are just some of the teachings that we see within the Scriptures. But what we see is that King David, sorry, David, he's not king yet, is found hiding, but not from God, but from man in a cave. Yet from in, within this cave, a great confidence of God is revealed. I want you to see this, a great confidence that I believe is attainable for each believer. And I know that some believers, many believers have this confidence. It's good to be reminded of it. See, David knew and he trusted the Lord. Christian, you can know the Lord and not trust him. You can know the Lord and step outside of the cave and try and fix things yourself. You can know the Lord and what the Lord says and do otherwise. We know this all to be true, but what, the, what we see with this man's confidence is that he knew the Lord and he trusted what he said. And many, many times what God says doesn't make sense to us in our situation because we can see a better way. We can see a way that we can fix it. And, and, and that's what we need to see here. David didn't just know the Lord, which is the testimony of many, but he trusted in him. What I thought about and realized about David is that from a young age, he possessed this confidence in God. One example of this confidence is simply this, the slaying of Goliath. We talk about that story as if it was easy. Thousands of, of hardened men trained as children up to be fighters stood there and trembled at this man's mockery of God and God's army. And this wee man, filled with a confidence of who he was, but better than that, who God was, walked out and put him on his back. Or to be more accurate, put him on his face. This is just one example of a man who knows and trusts God what he can do. It was this confidence in God that empowered David throughout his whole life to walk with God in an ungodly, in an ungodly world. His confidence in God empowered him to, to trust God even when death stood at the door. Here's one. I often think of eternity, but I have a, a problem. It's, the problem is this. It's how I'm going to enter eternity that bothers me. I know for many of you, you just can't wait to get to the deathbed, but that bothers me. I want it to be really, really quick when I'm really, really old and I've done nearly everything. But that's not guaranteed. It's called the last enemy. We have to fight him. We will not win him. He will beat us. We will die. 
But Christ, the same spirit, the Bible says, that raised Christ from the dead will what? Raise us. That's what the Bible teaches. But that when death is at the door, we have to trust him when we find ourselves there. If we're fortunate enough, not everybody gets a deathbed. They just wake up with their eyes on eternity at times. But, but what was it that empowered David to live for God with this confidence and assurance, both in life and death? The answer, I've already said, is the second coming of Christ. Look at verse 15. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness, and I will be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. This is the believer's confidence. I will see your face in righteousness. Job says, with my own eyes, I will behold the face of the Lord. There's a confidence right through the scriptures of men and women who looked to God and did great things for him. And I will be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. What is the problem with us in the 21st century trying to be satisfied in this world when the scriptures make it fairly clear we don't belong here? The moment we get saved, the moment we don't settle here, what is it? I used to blend into this world the very best. But at the age of 24, all of a sudden, the world and this systems I don't want it. Oh, there's times I tap into it and dip into it, but I'm like an alien in it. Don't belong there. But that's the working of God. We will only be fully satisfied when we see the Lord and we're like him. The scriptures teach us that. Now, David had a confidence in God, which was built, built in biblical doctrine, the doctrine called eschatology. Now, eschatology is a fancy word that they teach you that deals with the end times. And this wee bit of end times teaching about the second coming is something that every, every believer must behold, that the Lord is coming again. And David had this confidence of what the Lord was going to happen at the end of age. Now, listen, confidence in God doesn't come from emotionalism. Now, a wee bit of emotion is nice. There's times we could maybe have more. It doesn't come from presumption. Presumption is very dangerous. And also, it often calls people to fall out with one another. They presume something. He said this, she said that. Presumption is a, is, is a tool of the enemy. It doesn't give us a confidence. It comes from the teaching of Christ and the promise of eternal life. Now, now Christian, a believer who loses sight of eternity will become entangled in the world that they live in and they will lose their confidence in Christ. I've seen it. You've seen it. In fact, I've experienced it. And in King Esau, we saw a man of faith who did great things for God and, and all of a sudden he lost his confidence in God. And we know that he died, of course saved, but with a very bitter, broken heart. And I wonder, as I considered this, is it possible as the years passed by, that King Esther, he lost sight of the Lord. Did he lose sight of the second coming? I wonder. I wonder, did he? And is it possible that, that King Esther began to live for the present like so many around him and lost sight of eternity? Christian, it can happen. We can get so caught up in what's going on around us that our eyes is lifted and pointed away from the Lord. And here's the thing. When's eternity going to come to your house? Because here's the thing. Eternity is closer than we realize, isn't it? It's closer than we realize. It's a way down the line for me. Is it? I don't know. When is it for you? Eternity, we always think it's a way in the back burner. 
But truth be told, eternity could begin tomorrow for many of us. That is the reality of this life, and it's possible by losing sight of eternity, King Asa became caught up and then was choked with the curves of this world. And here's what happened. He lost his fire for the Lord. And because he lost his fire, he began to make foolish decisions in life. I've seen that a hundred times. Men, once on fire for the Lord, and all of a sudden they began to cool, and all of a sudden they began to become the fool. They made many, many bad decisions. And I believe it is for King Esther that he lost sight of the bigger picture. Christian, don't lose sight of eternity. Write it on your heart. It's a believer's confidence. It carries us through the storms of life and finally through death itself. Now, once a man loses sight of the bigger picture, he begins to fix his eyes on this present world and he slowly but unintentionally forgets God. Now, we have to live in this world. God took us out, he changed us, and he set us back in. He says, go forth and reach them and shine for me. That's the church. We're tucked out, but we're, we're placed back in, but we're born again. We have to work in this world, but we don't love this world, and we don't buy in or, or agree with its evil systems. Evil systems as a mass and global rejection of Christ. Think of it. The evil systems that promote greed, promote injustice, deception like never before, lust in every station, lawlessness in our streets. This is the evil system that we're part of. Do we really want to love it? Do we really want to buy into it? Do we want to be part of it and suckered into it? Look what's happening in France. The, the, the globalism that is destroying the people. They're going to raise their pension. Wait to your hundred and we'll give you your pension. They're completely and utterly ungodly, unwicked, unjust. And that's the system. And behold and watch, it'll come to our own doors. Because it's filled with greed. They don't care about anybody or anything. That's not the kingdom of God. We're to love one another, aren't we? We're to help one another. Oh, if there's a wee brother in need, we're to even put our hands in our pockets for one another. That is the kingdom of God, the kingdom that we belong to. And we, if we don't, or we don't fix our eyes upon this world, we fix our eyes upon eternal life. Now, Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6, fight the good fight of faith. And then he says, take hold of eternal life. I want to translate that this way. If you don't take hold of eternal life, you'll not fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith, he says, and take hold of eternity. Christian, fix your eyes on the coming of the Lord. It'll be your driving force in all seasons. It'll be your confidence in life, and it'll help you fight the good fight of faith. Now, just a few wee points as we bring this to a close. David's confidence can be our confidence. Write that down. David's confidence is this. He believed in the all-seeing eye of God. He believed that I, God could see him every moment of the day, and the Bible teaches that, by the way. That God was with him at all times, and because he believed this, he lived as such. Here's the thing. Hear just cause, O Lord. My vindication comes from you. Look at verse 3. Let your eyes look on my life found innocent. Hear just cause. He believed that the eye of God could see him, and therefore he lived as such. Then he believed, the second point, he believed that God heard his prayers. I have called upon you, he said, and you heard me. He believed this. Christian, this is going to sound strange, but if you don't really believe 
that God hears your prayers. It's possible that your confidence in God has been weakened. And I'm not silly enough to believe that everybody believes their prayers are heard. I wrestle with the flesh like every man and woman. And I want to say it again. If we don't really believe that God hears our prayers, it's possible that our confidence in God is weakened. And in fact, it's possible that our prayers will be ceased. Matthew 21, 21 says this. Now listen. The Lord's saying this. If you have faith and do not doubt. Now there's a wee bit. Why did I have to add that? I've got faith, Lord, but I doubt. And our brother said that this morning. Lord, help our unbelief. He goes on to say, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. Christian, what about today? Let us renew our confidence in God. Believing that when we talk to him, that he hears us. But listen, there's more to it. There always is. And I'll show you this from Scripture in a moment. Believing he hears us alone is not enough. Because we, like David, must also believe that he sees us and live as such. Then our believing will be seen in our living. And our living will be rewarded by our praying. Now, Pastor, you better stand over that one. Then our believing will be seen in our living. And then our living will be rewarded by our praying. It sounds like a gospel of works. But it's not. First John 3, 22. We will receive from him whatever we asked. There's the promise. Whatever we asked. Because we keep his commandments. And we do what is pleasing in his sight. It doesn't say we will receive whatever we ask from him. Because we believe his com- or do his commandments every now and again. And sometimes do what's pleasing in his sight. It doesn't say that. The scriptures teach the church that our living influences our praying. And here's the question. Does his word shape us and mold us still? Is our living pleasing in his sight because his word is shaping us? Now David was a man whose life was shaped by the scriptures. A man whose living was pleasing before the, God, the Lord. A man who carried a form of godliness. Look at verse 3. I'm just going to brush over this one because there's, there's so much could be said about it. And this is what David is saying. Remember, hear just cause, O Lord. You search me. You be the judge of me, not King Saul. And then he says this to the Lord. You have tried my heart. You have visited me in the night. And you have tested. And that word tested could be translated proved. You have proved me and found nothing wrong. What a confidence David had in his living. See, the heart that is fixed in the second coming will not fail by trying to live for the Lord. God uses our failings to be glorified in us. The refining fire of God's testing and proving doesn't cast us away from him, but in fact makes us stronger in him. But I want to say this one. Look at this one. You have visited me in the night, David says. You have visited me in the night. See, the night speaks of times when we are hidden hidden from the sight of others. In other words, what David is saying, when, when no one else was watching, Lord, I live for you. In my public and in my private, my living was pleasing in your sight. David had a confidence because he lived right. He believed God could see him. He believed God could hear him. And he believed God was full of grace and mercy. Look at verse 7. Show your marvelous love and kindness, you who save those who trust in you. 
We're saved here this morning by grace, not because we were good. In fact, we were the opposite. And David believed that the vilest of sinners, if they looked at Christ and repentance, they could be saved. He believed if the believer had fallen in sin, if they too looked at Christ in repentance, could be restored. In fact, David himself later in life would fall into sin, the sin of lust, adultery, murder, and God himself through repentance before him restored him. And I just want to say this to you this morning. There's no man or woman listening to this that God can't restore your life. There's none that can't be restored. What about Lamentations 3, the words of the prophet Jeremiah? Listen to what he says. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have confidence. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, for great is your faithfulness. That's the teaching of the word. And I want to say this to you. Maybe somebody needs to hear this. Yesterday's fall was yesterday's news if confessed today. We don't have to hide in the cave of yesterday's sin, yesterday's brokenness, yesterday's failures if we confess it today because the Lord says today is a new day, a day where a new start is offered to all. So as we close this up, David believed in God, that he could see him. He believed that God could hear him. He believed that God was merciful and he believed in the second coming of Christ in eternity. As for me, I will see your face. Christian, could we get that into our hearts this morning? As for me, I will see his face when eternity comes. His confidence was fixed in the second coming of Christ. And if we lose this sight of the second coming, our confidence, our walk will, will suffer. Now think of Abraham. I want to just highlight one thing that Abraham said about Abraham. It's Hebrews, 10, or Hebrews 11, 10. It says, for he was looking forward. He wasn't looking at the present situations and why it was dire for him. He left all, left everything, didn't even know where he was going. He just followed. It's a bit of the Christian life. Just follow the Lord. He was looking forward, it says, to the city that has foundations, but whose designer and builder is God, is God. Abraham's eye, like David's, was fixed on eternity, not this present age. Christian, we're only passing by through this dying world, and soon all its sorrow, all its pain will be removed from us. Don't lose sight for eternity. All the signs, the wicked signs of his coming are here. 15, 20 years ago, the second coming was preached regular. Why are we not preaching it from the rooftops today? It was all the prophecies, all the signs of a global Sodom, a world of great lawlessness, lawlessness and wickedness as Noah's day and atheism's all before us, and yet we're quiet. Is it because it's before our very eyes it doesn't sound as good when we're talking about it? In the future, this is what it's going to be like. It's like it now. The Lord says, as it was in the days of Lot, in the days of Noah, so it will be when the Lord what comes. He's coming again. Now, Paul says this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. We can get so caught up in this world that we forget there's a greater world yet to come. Did you hear that? 
the dead in Christ will rise first. Don't lose sight of these truths. And it says then, after that, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them, and so will we always with the Lord. Amen.